You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor Sean. And good morning, everyone. Man, you guys sound good. You look good today. Um, and like Pastor Sean said, if you don't know me, I am Pastor Bobby. I'm the worship and adult discipleship pastor here at the church. And uh, Pastor Ben, if you don't know, he is away with his family, uh, still in Cairo, Egypt. Uh, but I'm so excited uh, for him to be back next Sunday and launch a series on prayer to go along with the 40 days of prayer. And like uh, Pastor Sean mentioned, we also have Shoreline Prayer and Worship here next week, and so you want to be here next Sunday night to worship with us. And speaking of worship, can we just give the worship team a round of applause as well? Man, you guys sounded awesome wherever you are. There you are. I see you back there. And uh, man, you guys sounded great, and thank you for leading us. If you guys didn't know, uh, the people leading you in worship, a junior in high school, two seniors in high school, um, and just thank you for letting people uh, who are still growing uh, be able to lead you. Um, I think that says a lot about our church, Um, and I'm thankful for Pastor Ben also for trusting me uh, to share the word uh, because it says a lot about a pastor. It says a lot um, about uh, you guys uh, that you trust me to preach and teach and have influence here. Um, And I think it's good for a church to hear different voices of people who have different stories and histories and perspectives as well. And I mean, if you weren't here uh, last week to hear Pastor Jamie's message, uh, was anyone here last week? Did you hear Pastor? Yeah, come on. All right, a lot of you. Man, you need to watch it if you weren't here because she absolutely crushed it. Um, You know, I want to say off the bat, I'm kind of used to being the one who comes up here and I wrap up the sermon series and uh, some of you even call me the closer. Um, But for, for this year, for the first few weeks of the year, Pastor Ben, he just asked us to simply share Uh, something that was on our heart. So Pastor Ben last week, he shared, or two weeks ago, shared about um, how we need to share Jesus early and often. He talked about innovation and about uh, what God has in store for us here in 2023. Pastor Jamie, last week, she talked about consecrating ourselves to the Lord like we're an offering or a sacrifice and giving God everything we have. Um, But I'm going to be honest, you know, I got a lot of things going on up here. Um, And by here, I mean up here, here. Because I am a classic overthinker, and I feel completely lost without some sort of direction, which is probably why I'm the one who closes the sermon series. Like, give me 12 sermons to kind of, like, bring to summation, and I can do that. But just be like, hey, preach on whatever you want. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And maybe that's just because my mind is going a million directions at once. If you've talked to me, like it's, it's, there's a lot going on up here. Um, I've even written and recorded and produced a song about overthinking. And uh, so if you want to know what's going on in my heart and in my mind, just brace yourselves. Hold on to your seat. There's a lot spiraling. I mean, there's a lot swirling around up here. But before I jump in, before we start, before we get going with the word this morning, I want you to turn to the person to your left, and I want you to say, this is for you. And I want you to turn to the person to your right, say the same thing, this is for you. There's no one over here, I look insane. If the overthinking didn't get you, talking to myself is now. Um, But let's also make this a prayer for ourselves as well. Lord, use your word to speak to me today. Amen. Man. This past year, if you don't know this, I finished my master's degree at North Point Bible College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, yeah, thank you. And one of my final assignments was to write a 40 or 50 page essay uh, about a topic of my choice, um, which is essentially a small novel. Um, but again, I went to overthinking. I raced through a million different topics because I could write about whatever I wanted. And I finally rested, after a lot of thoughts, on one idea. This one thing intrigued my interest. It was one small idea, and yet somehow it was huge. 
when pastors or, or theologians or others read about what we call the church fathers, if, if you've read them, there's a lot of them, uh, they usually have weird Latin names, uh, this topic is either front and center or it's on the periphery of discussion. In the first 500 years after Jesus' earthly ministry, church leaders were debating this one small idea. They were meeting time and time again in councils, in synods, writing letters, and this idea even led to physical altercations and fighting, believe it or not. St. Nicholas, the real St. Nick of Christmas fame, jolly old St. Nicholas, punched a guy in the face over this one small idea. You see, this one small idea, it's arguably the most debated topic in church history. And it is one small idea about Jesus that changed everything we know about God, about the church, which we'll focus on today, and about ourselves as individuals. One of my favorite movies, it's a movie called Inception by a guy named Christopher Nolan. He says, uh, it says in the, uh, that an idea is like a virus, resilient, highly contagious, and even the smallest seed of an idea can grow, that it can grow to define you and even destroy you. It almost sounds like what we say about a mustard seed of faith, right? And this one small idea about Jesus led to the formation of the church. It led to the canonization of scripture. It led to the writing of the first creeds of the church. It reframed the church's understanding of race and gender roles and even church structure and governance. And some might even say that we wouldn't have democracy today without this one small idea. And if you could believe it or not, this idea is also the reason why Jesus was crucified. Are you on the edge of your seats? Are you holding on? Do you know what it is? Before Jesus walked the earth, the Jewish people, they were hoping, they were praying for a Messiah. They were, they were hoping a deliverer would come and save them. But Jesus said something that made people think he was either insane or the devil himself. This is why Jesus was ultimately sentenced to death during his earthly ministry. Jesus claimed that he himself was God. Jesus claimed that he was God. Jesus didn't claim that he was one of many gods, you know, like an avenger. He, he didn't claim that an essence of the gods or the gods rested on him or gave him power, you know, like another avenger. Uh, he didn't claim to be a demigod, like, you know, even a different avenger. And he, he, he is not possessed by some divine entity like some avenger. The Jewish people, they were expecting a Messiah to come. But what got Jesus killed was that he claimed to be God. He claimed to be equal with God, one with God, and yet separate from him. And this was something that no one was expecting. God taking on flesh, the heavens meeting earth. So after centuries of debate, the church rested on this idea that God exists in three in one. That there is one God, and that this one God somehow exists as three distinct persons that we know as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And this is the doctrine and belief that we call the Trinity, which, let's be honest, sounds like a dope Avenger name with even a doper symbol. And if you want to know what the Trinity is, that's about as easy as I can explain it, and it looks really complicated, but don't worry, that's just the Trinity's superhero logo. Um, but this is why Jesus resurrecting from the grave was so miraculous. This truth of his resurrection backed up the claim that he was God. That if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it doesn't matter that he claimed he was God because, you know, he's kind of a dead God. And that doesn't really sound like a God at all, right? That's not a God that I would want to follow. But Jesus' resurrection backs up his claim that he is who he says he is. So we not only have a Messiah and deliverer, but we also have a God that took on flesh and dwelled among us. We have a God who has the power to defeat death, hell, and the grave. That we have a transcendent God that broke through the plane of our perceptions and became imminent. That we serve a God that not only sympathizes, but also empathizes with our pain, our hurt, our struggles, 
our temptations because he is also one of us. But Jesus isn't only a person who walked this earth. He isn't simply a good teacher. He isn't just a deliverer or a messiah or a prophet. He is God. And this one small idea about Jesus changed everything that we know about God, the church, and ourselves. But does it really? I mean, does it? Really? Do we live as though this idea of the Trinity influences our walk as Christians? One theologian I was reading, he confesses that Christians must be willing to admit that should the doctrine of the Trinity have to be dropped as false, the major part of our lives could well remain virtually unchanged. That if this idea of Jesus and this doctrine were the most debated, if it were the most important issue in the first few centuries of the church, if this idea was the central focus of every Christian believer of the first several centuries, then why do many of us walk around today as though it doesn't matter? So, you know, as you would imagine, my overthinking self got to spiraling, and I wanted to dig deeper, and I wanted to see if, if this was really true. Do Christians really care about Jesus' divinity? And if so, how much do they really care? What kind of unity is there on this idea, and how does this idea affect what the church does today? Do we see Jesus as God, or is he as common and every day as another Marvel or Avengers movie? So I found a survey that was done. It was by a group called Lifeway, if you don't know them. Uh, I can send you the article if you're interested. It's uh, pretty intriguing and eye-opening where they asked American Christians, Americans who call themselves evangelicals, their opinions on a myriad of different topics. And this is what this survey found. The survey found that most Christians have a more united belief around topics like abortion, sex before marriage, and gender than they do about Jesus. So listen to some of the stats. Uh, where 91% of Christians believe abortion is wrong, and 94% believe you shouldn't have sex before marriage, only 57% of Christians in America, so 57% of people who say they follow Jesus, just over half believe that Jesus is actually God. Yeah, right? And believe it or not, over half, so over half, of Christians in America today believe that Jesus is simply one of many ways to worship God and to go to heaven. So if we had to apply these stats this morning, that would mean that probably like nine out of 10 people here would probably vote for the same political candidate uh, based off of just their ideas of sexual ethics. But only one out of every two people here would actually believe that Jesus is who he said he is. So again, there was a reason why I had you turn to the person to your left and to your right, because maybe this is for them. Because this makes many churches, maybe even our own church, more of a social club or more about morals or about politics than about the actual resurrected Lord. This shows us that this once profound and big idea of Jesus is now simply an afterthought. And it's not that sexual ethics or anything uh, isn't important, but when we put ethics before Jesus, we're essentially putting the cart before the horse and we become more informed by our own opinions or our feelings or our politics or even by our American heritage rather than the person of Jesus. You know, and it says something about us when we can share more facts about our politics than we can about who Jesus is. So what would it really look like? What would it look like for our church if we lived as though Jesus were truly God? And how did this one idea impact the church community in the first century? How did this truth change the course of humanity? And how does this one idea of the Trinity impact our understanding of God and ourselves? This one idea about Jesus and the Trinity, it changes everything that we should know about community. You see, if God exists in a Trinity, then that means God exists at the same time as one while also being in community. That God always stands alone, and yet he's never alone. Think about that. One, one theologian, he said it this way, that in order for God to be love, 
He must exist simultaneously as the lover, the beloved, and the love that binds them. Think about it. For God to exist as love, he must exist simultaneously as the lover, the beloved, and the love that binds them. That love cannot exist in isolation or it wouldn't be love. Like, you can't say you're a loving person and be a hermit because love is relational and God is love. God is relational, both in how he's understood in himself and how he's understood towards his creation. And so in the same way, we as humans, we were made to be in community. We aren't made to be alone. And and, and this can be seen all the way from the very beginning of time, that it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, uh, the first thing that isn't good in God's creation. In the world that God created, something wasn't right. You know, he made the stars and the sun. He made the earth and the sea, and they were all good. And yet something within his beautiful world didn't meet his standards. The very first thing that God said wasn't good was that man was alone. That's because we're not made to be alone. We aren't made to white-knuckle it through life. That God created us to have friends, to hang out together, to debate and argue with one another sometimes, maybe some of us more than others. That's how we grow. That's how we flourish. And, and to be in a community, to have friends, to care for others, is to be more in line with the nature of God. That if God himself isn't alone as the Trinity, then we aren't meant to be alone either because we are made in his image. So imagine how this command in Genesis not only impacts humanity from the start of time, but now consider how the importance of community was expressed to the early church who just understood this new revelation of the risen Lord, that Jesus is God. This is something startling about the Trinity because not only is God a God of community, but God is a diverse community. That God exists as one in three persons, that he's Father, Son, and Spirit. And each person within the Trinity, they have different roles and functions. And though they are equal and have the same will, each has served a different purpose within time. So consider even the distinction maybe between fathers and sons. Is anyone here a father or a son? All the men go, arr, right? I don't know the sound that men should make, but in in my head it's a pirate for some reason, I don't know. Um, Arr, fathers and sons. But God the Father and Son are linked together by the relationship that they have with one another. Because a son cannot exist without a father, and a father cannot exist without a son. Their relationship demands that the other exists, and their relationship is bound together by the Spirit that they are together in relationship and community, and yet they are distinct persons with roles and and functions. And so some of you guys, you might be thinking like, Bobby, that's good for God and everything, but like, what does that have to do with the church? Like, what does it have to do with me? Fair question, I get it, I get it. By looking at scripture, I believe the early church, they saw a connection between the community found in the Trinity and Christ's body represented by the church. So listen to what Paul says. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to open there. This is the earliest scripture reference we have linking together the persons of the Trinity. So I think we should probably pay attention uh, to what it says and maybe the surrounding context around it as well. So this is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says that there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in who? Everyone. It is the same God at work. Just as a body, though, one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is for us with Christ. So did you notice how many times it said different and same I love that the Apostle Paul, he links here the different roles and functions of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then he links the church into the persons of God with Christ's body. So just as a body has different body parts that have different functioning pieces, just like our legs and our arms and our fingers and our ears and our eyes are all different, all those parts are still part of one body, just as the Father, Son, and Spirit are all different 
yet we still worship one God. So we here, we are one church, one people formed by maybe different races, backgrounds, giftings, genders. Some may be good at art, others may be accounting. Some uh, may be great singers and other natural caretakers. Some may be book smart while others can craft beautiful things with their hands. And I think it's profound that God gave each of us limited gifts so that we would need to depend on one another. And if you're interested on knowing how God created you in a unique way, I encourage you to come and check out. We have a class called Get Connected that we're hosting here in a couple of weeks. And there we talk about a little bit about who we are as a church, but um, really over half the class talks about your personality and your giftings and how God created you with a purpose. So if you feel alone here this morning, or if you don't know why God created you, or, or, or you're looking for purpose in your life, we want to invite you to get connected in just a couple weeks, and uh, you can sign up right there online. But when I think of this idea of having uh, different gifts and, and personalities and passions, it leads me beyond uh, the church, and it actually leads me to thinking more about marriage and relationships as well. How many here know the common phrase that opposites attract? How many here uh, probably have experienced that in their lives? Yeah, um, I, I know uh, uh, me and Kyle definitely like that. Um, I think we can agree it's a common phrase probably because there is a level of truth there, that a healthy relationship needs balance, right? Kyle says, yes, yes, we do. She balances me out. Um, because a healthy relationship, it has a couple working together, allowing each person to lead where they're gifted. So I want you to imagine for a second being married to someone exactly like you. Exactly like you. Like sometimes I can barely live with myself. Now there's two of me like that. That sounds like a nightmare, doesn't it? And if it doesn't, maybe you're a narcissist. I don't know. But imagine if you sucked at finances and then you married someone who also sucked at finances. Like how would you pay the bills? Or imagine if Neither of you wanted to discipline or, or give a time out to the kids or, or, if, or if neither of you could cook. Like just thinking about it, I get really exhausted and also a little bit hungry. I don't know why, but it's funny how in some ways opposites attract. But when we look for churches or if we look for a small group or, or consider friendships, we look for our preferences. We look for people who may be similar to us instead of thinking how others' differences may compensate where we're weak or may force us to consider a different perspective or to grow as an individual. But there are things that should be important to us, but sometimes when we lose sight of who Jesus is, we also lose sight of what really matters with it. In another one of uh, the New Testament letters, the Apostle Paul, again, he writes to the Christians living in a place called Galatia, and he encourages them to focus on what really matters. That he shares with them in his letter how Christ and God the Father are one. And then what that means for us. And so from the start, it's building on this idea. And it ultimately crescendos to this point in Galatians 3, starting in verse 26. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. So there is neither Jew or Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We see in this passage, and what I love about this passage, is that Paul still recognizes that distinctions still exist in the church, but what he is saying is that they no longer have power over us. He's not necessarily saying that male and females no longer exist, but he is saying that the power dynamic has shifted because we're all seen equally under Jesus. Just as Jesus and God are seen as one. So even though race and gender and economic status, like what are mentioned here, may still exist in the world today, they should, still, uh, they should not affect our status in society. They should not affect our status in the church, especially the church. And they don't affect our status in the kingdom of God that we can be a diverse group of people of different ages and, and genders and skills and places in life and yet united in Jesus Christ. P. 
Because not only does this idea about Jesus and the Trinity change everything that we should know about community, but because it changes what we know about community, it should reorient our, de- our idea of what it means to be in unity with one another as well. This one idea about Jesus changes everything about what we know with community. And then with that, our understanding of what it means to be united as one. Again, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Christians in Ephesus. He's writing this group of believers who are both Jewish and Gentile, who are trying to discover their new identity outside of these racial and ethnic lines, similar to that of the Galatian church that we just talked about. And and in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 2, it says that the church should be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep what? The unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know, over the past few years, I've seen a lot of division in our country and around the world. Uh, we've seen divis- uh, division in politics, over a million different things, and, and I'm sure there are many that you can think of, and, and there are even uh, as many divisions today that exist in the church as well. Instead of finding ways to meet people in the middle, instead of, of finding ways to exist with those who are different than us, when, uh, when we find those we disagree with, we, we decide to villainize them instead. And I know I, I've done that sometimes myself. Because, you know, if we're right, then they must be wrong. And if they're wrong, then they must be stopped. And it's so easy to look at someone, to think of all the ways you're different instead of thinking of how you are the same. It's easier to be with people who are exactly like us with similar interests and opinions than to be with people who cause us to stretch and grow and think beyond our own perspectives. And that, honestly, is much of the issues that faced a a lot of the early churches, that different people are coming together and they weren't used to being around each other. They were used to being in their own factions and camps and situations. And so women, they weren't used to being in churches where they had a voice and suddenly they have a voice and they can speak and they're given power. And so all of a sudden there are tensions that sometimes need to be addressed, that Jews and Gentiles, they didn't know how to worship together. And so there were tensions in a similar way. And nearly every letter or epistle written in Scripture was to help these churches overcome these obstacles in light of this understanding of who Jesus is. That they were a reminder for them to focus on what really mattered and lay all their other preferences and differences aside. And it forces me to ask myself, if if the Apostle Paul were to write our church today, if he were writing us, what would he say? Or what would he write if he were writing the American church today? You know, I think his words would be similar to what he wrote to the church of Ephesus, that we need to be unified, not caught in uniformity, not looking and sounding the same, but connected in Christ and celebrating our differences. One church with many people, yet worshiping God as Father, Son, and Spirit. You know, if you don't know this about me, I uh, didn't grow up in a religious home. I didn't really grow up going to church. I Went to church a little bit whenever I was a toddler, um, and then, you know, uh, really didn't go until I decided to go later in middle school when I chose to go myself. And uh, in middle school, part of that was because I was trying to discover who I was, and um, I realized in order to fit in at the time that I uh, had to kind of go along with what everyone else was doing. So I joined in with some of the bullies at my school, uh, some of the bullies on my bus, uh, to mess with some of the younger kids. And I thought, at least at the time, like, it's better to be a bully than be bullied. Uh, Maybe some of you have felt that before. Hopefully none of you are feeling that now. Probably not a good place to be as an adult. Um, But I remember me and a couple other friends, we would make fun of a younger kid, Justin, a few other kids. Um, But Justin lived around the corner from me. 
And I remember uh, after I got in trouble uh, later in middle school, I got arrested. I got in trouble with the law. And all of a sudden, I was trying to separate myself from these friends. Uh, They were the ones who kind of got me into trouble, these bullies. And I started attending church. Um, But because I was the only person in my family who went, because no one else in my house went, uh, I had to have someone give me a ride each week. And do you want to guess who the person was who gave me a ride? It was Justin's parents, Justin's family. You know, these parents knew that I was one of the kids who picked on their son, but they still showed me love. And even though Justin and I were very different with a lot of different interests, and, and even though I used to pick on him, we ended up becoming great friends, and, and we ended up being on the worship team together and, and even in a band together uh, for a little bit in high school. And, and when I showed up to youth group in middle school, though, it was really the first time that I felt accepted and understood for who I really was, that before I went to church, kind of like I was saying on the bus, I felt like I had to kind of adapt to those around me, like around the bullies, I had to be the bully, Um, and so if I was nerdy or weird, like, I had to shut that stuff down, like people wouldn't like me, and I remember at first, I was trying so hard to fit in at church, like I, like you just look, and you're like, dude, why are you trying so hard, but that's what I was doing, but then all of a sudden, I realized that stuff doesn't matter, and that shouldn't matter, should it? So whether you're annoying, because uh, sometimes some of us are, I know sometimes I am, or, or you're geeky, or you're opinionated, or you're odd, or you're zany, or you're excited, or even if you're introverted, again, like me, you should have a place here. Whether you're depressed, or you're broken, or you're happy, or you're pregnant, or you're alone, or you're black, white, or Asian, or Hispanic, you're divorced, single, sober, struggling, male or female, you should have a place here. I'm going to ask Liz to join me up here this morning, and we're going to prepare to respond to this message today by receiving communion this morning. One of the scriptures we read today, it's actually located immediately after the scripture that's about the Lord's Supper. That when Paul talks about being the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, it's immediately after he talks about the power of us receiving Christ's body in communion. So when we eat the bread, we're recognizing God working both in Christ and in our midst. And in receiving his body, we are recognizing the community and unity that comes through who he is. Because no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, all of us receive Christ's body as equal. No matter who you are, you eat the same bread and you drink of the same cup as everybody else. So my prayer for us today, it is the same prayer that Jesus has for us, that we would be united with one another just as he is united with the Father. That in one of Jesus' final prayers during his earthly ministry, he prays this over the church today. He prays this over us. And I just want you to know, this is Jesus' prayer right after the disciples took the Last Supper. And it's literally the last thing he says before he would be arrested, tried, and crucified. It's in John chapter 17. Verse 20 through 23, this is what it says. It says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through the disciples' message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that I've given them glory that you gave me, that they may also be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me will you stand with me this morning and I'm going to ask Pastor Rocky uh, to come and lead us in receiving communion together today Pastor Bobby, thank you for listening and hearing from the Spirit. 
and sharing this message that ties in so well with our experience of communion this morning. This morning at 8.30, I got here just in time for the prayer huddle we have before the service, and I was just able to hear Pastor Sean as he led us this morning say, this morning we want to break the mundane and the routine. Step out of our comfort zones and let's not do just the same old thing, business as usual. So this morning, we're taking communion at a different point in the service. We usually break into the praise service, come up here with those packages, open them up and do it in a nice convenient format and move on. But this morning, we're giving it a little more credence. We're making it a little more special. In this church, if you're a believer, whether you're a visitor or a member, you're welcome to take communion with us. We invite you. If you happen to be here this morning and you are not a believer, I would not encourage you to take those elements until you are. And I wanna ask you and open that offer to you to become a member of God's family and partake in that this morning. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, if you've never prayed the sinner's prayer or become born again, but you would like to, if that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand, please, so that I can see where you are? I'm not seeing anybody. So praise God that all of you here are a member of his family. I wrote down a number of points from Pastor Bobby's sermon here that I think it's important for us to keep in mind and review momentarily here as we proceed into this. First of all, Jesus is God. He exists in the Trinity, three in one. Unity amongst God. God's nature is to be in community and since we are created in his image, we also should live in community. And we live in divided times. I'll take that a little step further. And this may just be my opinion, but I believe we live in the most divided times, at least in my lifetime and perhaps ever. Some would say, well, in America, during the Civil War was the most divided time because the North was clearly divided against the South. But if you think about it, the North was largely in agreement amongst themselves, and the South was largely in agreement among those in the South. Yes, they were polarized entities, but amongst themselves, they were unified. Then it's said, that during the Vietnam War, America was never as divided as then. And I grew up during that period of time. And again, I would disagree. And I'm not debating whether the Vietnam War was good or bad or the correct thing to do, but I'm going to say the general opinion in America was that we were doing the right thing. It was a smaller faction of people who protested against it. And they were divided, but the majority of people were still in unity, liked it or not. But today, things are different. Today, we are truly divided, not along a party line or a religious line, but we are divided at multiple levels. Pastor Bobby touched on that. And if we were to bring it even down into this church and give a, a long list of questions, we would find that among each other, we would have extremely varying opinions. Communion is an act that brings unity. Even the word itself is made up of two words, common and union. Common means of the same thing, union, to surround yourself around that. 
And again, in John 17, Jesus prayed that prayer for his disciples and being our spiritual forefathers, he prayed it for us too, that we would be as one. And Jesus being the master of metaphor and analogy and object lessons has given us the greatest object lesson of all in the bread and the cup. He is surrounded in about the one thing that we all find in community, and that's food. When you think about it, family gatherings, always around food, high school reunions, it always around a dinner, ball games and hot dogs, carnivals and elephant ears. Not a good example. Business lunches, do it all the time. Connect groups, it's around, often around food. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he does not really give us the instructions on how to do communion. He's actually correcting how the Corinthian church was doing it wrong. They were coming together and gorging themselves. But the idea here, what we find out, is they came together for a meal. And at some point they broke away from that meal and they did communion. Paul talks about Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper. They were together eating a meal. It was a substantial event. It was not just a little blip. And this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Jesus said in his original words, do this until I come. We're going to do that right now. If you would take out that little bread. And I was reading the other day about this, how the Jewish people would celebrate Passover with a, it's called a matzah. It's like a saltine cracker with no salt and really hard. And it's got holes pierced in it and little lines across it. And the Jewish people could never and still don't see the significance, but those holes and those lines are in it because it has to cook fast. That's the requirement. And it has to dissipate heat. So they poke it with holes and they groove it with lines, stripes. What do you suppose those little holes, those piercings represent? How Jesus' body was pierced. What do you suppose those little stripes represent? Isaiah speaks that he bore our sorrows and our iniquities. God laid on him the sins of us all, and by his stripes we are healed. If you're a newer believer, maybe you don't know what those stripes represent. But the Roman soldiers had this thing called a cat of nine tails. It's a whip with nine endings on it, and each one of those little tails has in it woven broken glass, shards of broken pottery, nails, sharp pieces of metal, and they would whip people. And those little shards would embed themselves in the flesh just like a dart into a dartboard, and then they would rip it out, tearing a long, gashing, bloody stripe it's a gory picture some perhaps don't want to see that picture but it's not that serene little cross hanging on the wall he did this for you and we believe that Jesus died to pay the price for our sin and for a healing as you hold that little wafer take a look at it 
And then imagine Jesus hanging there on that cross. And if you have a need for healing in your body, nail that affliction onto the cross with Jesus right now and believe for complete restoration and healing as you eat this bread. He then took that cup, the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood for the remission of your sins. If there's sin in your life, if there's something that just keeps coming back, if there's a sin, let's say, that you have been forgiven of, but you can't forgive yourself, as you see Jesus nailed on that cross, place that sin at the foot of the cross. And as his blood drips, let it cover that sin and see it no more as you drink of this cup. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son paying the price that we owed. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rocky. It says in Matthew that after the disciples received the Lord's Supper, they sang a hymn together and worshiped God with one another. And I love that we get to respond the same way this morning that we're going to respond to the message. We're going to respond to communion by singing a song called King of Kings. And this song, it's personally meant a lot to me this season, uh, not just because of the power of the words of what it's saying, but also because of the people who I've had the privilege of singing it with. Uh, that for Christmas, uh, I've got to sing this song with pastors from three other churches from across the area and online. Uh, service. Maybe you guys saw it. And so whenever I hear this song now, I actually think of joining together with pastors and with congregations from Watermark, Hope Reformed, All Shores Wesley, and all of us declaring together as separate churches that we serve one Lord. And I also got to sing this song just a week ago in Florida uh, at a pastor's retreat. And it was beautiful as well. I got to sing with pastors uh, all across the U.S. from Oregon to Massachusetts, singing the praises of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. At that conference, it's not like this huge conference with thousands of people, and there were 12 of us, and we sang a cappella in a small home together. But it was the beauty of that simple declaration together that I hope to not soon forget. If this one idea about Jesus, if this one idea changed everything, then let it change me. I hope that's your prayer today. And as we sing this song together this morning, or now this afternoon, I encourage you to think of what these words mean. Consider who Jesus is and what that means for us as a church family. Will you close your eyes this morning if you feel comfortable again? Just raise your hands, not just as a sign of surrender, but maybe as a sign of unity, that we all get to worship together the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yes, Jesus, move in us today. that we are your body as a church, Lord. 
we pray as a church that we don't forsake our first love, that just as you exist as the lover and the beloved and the love that pines, Lord, let us be people who are known by our love, that your word says they will know who we are. They will know that we are your followers. The hurting will know, the broken will know, the lost will know who we are by our love. So, Lord, I pray for any division that exists here this morning. I pray for any bitterness that exists here this morning. I pray for any unforgiveness that exists between people in our church body, people in this community this morning. That in receiving your body and your blood, we are saying we are no better than anyone else. That if you've forgiven others, Lord, we can forgive others, Lord. And help us to let go of any hurt, of any pain, of any brokenness, of any bitterness that we have here as a church body. Let us as a church be an example of unity. Let us be an example to the world of unity. Lord, as your body, let us not receive your body or your blood in vain. Lord, and we know that as we leave this place, as we are people marked by you, our love for you and our love for one another, Lord, help us to be people who love those around us. Help us to be people that leave this place. And whether it's a teacher, whether it's a coworker, whether it's someone at the store, whether it's a family member, Lord, help us to be people who are known for our love. Help us to be people who are building bridges. Help us to be a light in the darkness. Lord, and we know as we go to a lost, hurting, and broken world, as we go as your hands and your feet, let us not be idle ourselves. But let us be proclaimers of your good news, of your gospel, that you came to reconcile the world, that God became man. with it brought deliverance. Lord, we leave this place as your ambassadors, but more than that, we leave this place as your unified body. And we know as we go that you will be before us, behind us, and all around us every single step of the way. It's all in your glory and in your honor and in your name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's follow the application of Pastor Rocky's encouragement today. Take someone out to lunch. Get together. Have fun. Hang out. And we hope that you have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.